0: The following is a message by Dr. Dennis Johnson from Westminster Seminary, California. For more information about this message or Westminster Seminary, visit us online at wscal.edu or call us at 888-480-8474. That's online at wscal.edu or call us at 888-480-8474. Our Father, we thank you that In all of the constancies and the changes of this life, our lives are in your strong hand. And then in your wise providence, uh, you have called us to belong to your Son and called us in the midst of outward life to stay close to your Son through the work of your Holy Spirit. Father, uh, these are days that exhaust us and days full of both Anxiety and expectation as we come to the end of an academic year. Uh, we ask you uh, for uh, a mind to blend with outward life while keeping at thy side and encourage us uh, and remind us now of uh, the one to whom we belong in all of the changes of life in these few moments as we hear your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. We conclude the faculty series uh, that we've had throughout this year in First Corinthians uh, with a paragraph from First Corinthians chapter seven, verses seventeen through twenty-four. 1 Corinthians seven, beginning to read at verse seventeen. Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him, and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. Was anyone at the time of his call already circumcised? Let him not seek to remove the marks of circumcision. Was anyone at the time of his call uncircumcised? Let him not seek circumcision. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but keeping the commandments of God. Each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. Were you a slave when called? Do not be concerned about it. But if you can gain your freedom... Avail yourself of the opportunity. For he who was called in the Lord as a slave is a freedman of the Lord. Likewise, he who was free when called is a slave of Christ. You were bought with a price. Do not become slaves of men. So, brothers, in whatever condition each was called, there let him remain with God. As far, the reading of God's word. Now, that may sound like an odd paragraph for the last morning devotions of this academic year, just before everything is about to change. Papers to be submitted by tomorrow, generally, you haven't forgotten. You are here. You are Gideon's 300. You've made it. At least you feel you can afford the 20 minutes before you spend a sleepless night. I'm not sure. Exams soon to be taken, uh, and yet when you think about, as some of us will, three weeks from today, still be on campus, most of you will not, this place will feel like a kind of a ghost town, almost. Graduates will have moved away or will be moving away to ministry in various churches near or far, or to graduate studies, or maybe back into life as usual, getting reacquainted with your husband or your wife, uh, and your children who hardly recognize you. Uh, because you're always here when they're awake and get home afterwards, maybe that. Uh, Many things uh, will change. Uh, Even our students who plan to be back in the fall uh, in the next few weeks, you'll have changes as well. No classes, hooray. Perhaps you're going off to sample pastoral ministry up close and personal in an internship or plunging into uh, work to earn the money for the fall tuition or, of course, just planning to spend a, an important sabbatical on the beach all summer. Not likely, I'm sure. Many changes ahead. Weddings, maybe. New babies having, soon arri- having arrived recently or soon to arrive. Lots of changes. Uh, and yet, it seems in this, as if in this paragraph, Christ's apostle keeps hammering home one message Stay put. Stay put. You hear it at the beginning of the paragraph, in the middle, and at the end. Verse 17, as the Lord has assigned a place place in life as the Lord has called, stay there. He uses the biblical metaphor of walking. Walk in that place that the Lord has assigned to you. In verse 20, each in the calling in which he was called, let him remain. Verse 24, at the end, each in the situation in which he was called, let him remain with God. Stay put, stay put. Stay put. That seems to be Paul's motif. And so it is pretty strange to bring, for me to bring those words to you as you're thinking about beyond that last exam and packing the U-Haul and getting out of hectic Southern California. Maybe even sound a little strange for me to be bringing these words to you as I'm looking forward to handing over the keys to the dean's office to Dr. Fesco in just 47 days. But who's counting? Stay put. Stay put. But is that Paul's message, really, simply stay put? Not not really. In one sense, this paragraph seems a little odd for Paul even to say in the context of this letter. He'd been talking about issues related to marriage, most recently about spiritually mixed marriages between a believer and an unbeliever, and now suddenly he seems to be talking about circumcision and slavery Uh, why does he bring this in at this point? Well, obviously because the Corinthian Christians had some bizarre understandings about the implications of their new life in Christ. Some of them, as we see from the end of chapter 6, had drawn the conclusion that since what really counts is the spiritual, by which they thought the immaterial, the non-physical, then what you do with your bodies really doesn't matter a whole lot you feel hungry, you eat. If you feel like hooking up with somebody, you hook up. It doesn't really matter. They were drawing that kind of conclusions. Others, thinking that the body really doesn't matter, drew the conclusion that Paul read in their letter, as he says in verse 1 of this chapter, you wrote, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. And others saying, if the immaterial is the only thing that really counts, then really Even sexual relations between husband and wife is a distraction or a defilement, and we need to live celibate lives even in marriage. And of course, Paul rebukes the Gnostic conclusions from both sides. He says, what you do with your body, you are doing with something that God has created and that God has owned and redeemed through the blood of Christ. You are not your own, you were bought with a price You are handling God's property in what you do with your body. And so glorify God in purity in sexuality. And to the married couples who think that sexuality in marriage is something that ought to be avoided, Paul says God created your bodies for this pleasure and it's your duty to one another to heed his command." to grant intimacy and pleasure to one another. And then, of course, he goes on to address singles, and he goes on to address, as I said, those uh, living in mixed marriages. But all of these things, all of these various confusions that they had, were drawn out of a conclusion that because I'm a new creature in Christ, I'm somehow pulled out of, all, or I should be pulled out of, or I should withdraw from all the circumstances and every status that I had before I came to Christ. And and that's Paul's main point. That's not so. Your call to belong to Christ, the call that the Holy Spirit applied to your heart in the preaching of the gospel, is a call to you in a context in which that newness of life in Christ is now to be worked out in the context of the callings that you have In everyday life. And so Paul says to the believing partner in an unequally yoked marriage. You've come to faith. Your partner is still pagan. Whether he's a pagan husband or a pagan wife. As long as that partner is willing to stay in the marriage. You stay put too. Because by that very staying put. You can be an instrument of God's mercy and grace in your spouse's life, in your children's life as well. As long as that unbelieving partner stays there, you are you're Christ's embedded mole of holiness in that home and in that family. And now in our paragraph, Paul both widens the application and deepens the foundation of that counsel. His point is not simply stay put. It's far more nuanced than that. You can see that from the fact that he gives permission, even encouragement, to slaves to seek their freedom from enslavement to a human master if the opportunity presents itself. He says, your status as a slave is not the product of bad karma, the inflexible legacy of previous lives lived greedily and now in reincarnation you're... Back in that, it's not the product of tyrannical kismet and unavoidable fate decreed by the immutable will of Allah. No, your status as a slave is a component of God's providential care for you in the very point in which he called you to belong to Christ. And so Paul talks not about karma and not about kismet, but about calling. And about the God who calls. And of course he's been talking about that throughout this epistle and all of his epistles. But if we were to think back to the first chapter, Paul says, God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. That's the call of grace out of death and into life that marks you as a new creature in Christ. And, of course, God's call came to you not because you were the likely prospects for salvation, but because you were the hopeless cases in which he could display the marvel of his power. Chapter 126, consider your calling, brother, brothers, not many wise, not many powerful, not many of noble birth. God chose the foolish to shame the wise, the weak to shame the strong, what is low and despised and even non-existent to shame the things that are So when he speaks here of our calling, he's not talking about what often people think of when they talk about a vocation, a job, uh, necessarily. First of all, he's talking about our calling to belong to Christ. In our text, though, he says these circumstances in which God extended to you his gracious call out of death and into life, out of darkness and into light, out of enmity toward him, into the family of God. The circumstances, too, are within the control of the gracious God who has called you to live by faith in his Son, in the Son of God who loved you and gave himself for you. And so Paul says, God has given you an assignment, an apportionment. Verse 17, he's dealt you a hand of cards, we might say or thinking more biblically, he's apportioned you a portion in the land of promise, is probably the Old Testament picture that Paul brings in mind here. He's given you a plot of land to farm, and that's the place in which you can glorify him, whether that means being married or single, being married to a believing partner, or still living in a marriage in which you're your partner has not come to faith in Christ yet, whether it means being circumcised as a Jew or a Gentile proselyte to Judaism before coming to faith in Christ, or coming right out of paganism and therefore uncircumcised, whether being slave or free, you do not need to change your status or your circumstances in order to serve your Savior. That's Paul's point. You don't need to change. You are a new creature in Christ, but you don't need to change your status, or your circumstances in order to serve your Savior. And even as we stand on the cusp of change, it's good to hear that word of reminder. Where God calls us, he can use us as we express our gratitude for his grace. Looking back over 16 years in broken pieces of being dean around here, And I can remember some conversations I had with prospective students. we have had a few lawyers, police officers, um, engineers, accountants, uh, very gifted business entrepreneurs uh, who have weighed coming. Many of them have come, and it was the right thing to do. But occasionally I've had those conversations, and I've actually dared to say to somebody, are you sure you should be in seminary? I mean, the Lord seems to be using you so wonderfully in his church and in your business and in your family. And uh, is it the right thing for you? Don't think that in order to serve the Lord, you need a degree from Westminster Seminary, California. That makes our recruitment department really nervous. They don't like to send people to me when, I'm, when I dare to say that. But no, they're fine with it too. Uh, but sometimes uh, we need to be reminded that we can serve the Lord in a lot of different ways. Places. Now certainly there are those calls that God issues to his people when he calls us to faith in Christ and he will change a lot of things. Uh, Simon Peter and Andrew and James and John left fishing and became fishers of men in response to the call from the Lord. Uh, Levi left his tax collection booth. Uh, at the same time, when Roman soldiers came to the Lord's prophet, John the baptizer, said, now you be good, faithful, just, non-exploitive occupation forces in the Lord's land. Now, I don't think they probably had the option of sort of, you know, not re-upping in the Roman legions. But in any case, he said, you can serve God in that place. You're truly repentant, you can serve God, serving as a faithful soldier under Rome. And there are those types of places as well. So what is Paul saying to us here? How does this come back to us here? And I think more than anything else as I see it, it comes back to the tendency I find in my own heart, and you perhaps find it in yours, of trying to fill in a particular sentence with a particular condition. The sentence goes something like this in my own mind. I could really serve the Lord more faithfully, more fruitfully, more fully, if only... Now, how would you fill in that sentence? If only my health were better. If only biblical languages came more easily to me. If only finances weren't so tight. If if only Westminster didn't have so many required courses so I could take the really interesting and useful electives. If only my wife were more content living in California. Or, and I have actually heard this, if only my wife shared my sense of calling to the foreign mission field. Then I could really serve the Lord. But she's really nervous about the prospect of living cross-culturally. Or maybe for some of you seniors right now it is, I could really serve the Lord more fully and faithfully if only a church would call me as a pastor, associate pastor, assistant pastor, youth pastor, intern, receptionist, whatever. If only... If only, for the folks who got this letter from Paul, I could really serve the Lord if only I could leave this marriage to an unbeliever and be united to somebody who shares my heart commitment to Jesus. If only I were circumcised or if only I could obscure the effects of my circumcision. If only I were a freed man I don't think anybody would be tempted to say, if only I were a slave, then I could serve the Lord. But Paul's point is, no, it's not the circumstances. In fact, he says to the slaves, you really are the Lord's freedman already. And to the free people, he says, you really are the Lord's slave. Don't think of your freedom as just a freedom to do your own thing. God's gracious call has come to you right where you belong in his perfect plan, with all of your connections and obligations and limitations and entanglements. And you can express a spiritual freedom that he gives to you in the midst of economic slavery and frustrating circumstances. And at the same time, if you have economic freedom, you need to use that not for selfish self-service, but as Christ's joyful slave. So as our callings change or stay the same, Our ability to serve the Lord doesn't depend on those outward circumstances. It depends ultimately on the foundation that Paul points us to here, that his call to us in all the circumstances that he providentially controls in our lives, his call to us to belong to Christ is foundational. And you see, that's where he leads us in verses 23 and 24. Why should we not become human slaves if it's uh, within our power to do so? Why should we see ourselves, even if we find ourselves in slavery, as freed by Christ? You were bought with a price. You were bought with a price. He brings us right back in those few words to the cross. Remember whose you are. Remember to whom you belong. Remember, never ever forget, in whatever your status or circumstance, the cross on which Christ paid the price to make you his very own. And then verse 24, remember that the Christ who died for you by his spirit goes with you in all the callings. That's the one thing that's new in verse 24 as opposed to 17 and 20 where he's given us that sort of stay put counsel. In verse 24, brothers in whatever condition each was called there let him remain with God. The preposition is para here, with God close to us. Not under God, although that would be true. Not in response to God's command, although that would be true. But with God, remember that God with us, Emmanuel, is worked out in all of our callings, both the fulfilling ones and the frustrating ones. The callings in which we seem to be hemmed in on all sides and those in which it seems that he's opened wide doors of opportunity to broadcast his word and to reap his harvest In whatever the calling, as you wait, as you work, as you write papers tonight, as you study in these next weeks, and then beyond, whatever your calling in terms of the everyday of life, remember that ultimately your calling is to be the possession of Jesus Christ and the companion of Christ as he is with us in our callings. I don't know when whether Paul is thinking of with with God here was thinking back to the account of Joseph's time in Egypt. Uh, it made me think of that, but I'm not claiming a, du- a direct allusion. But thinking of that low point in Joseph's calling to be uh, really the instrument of rescue and redemption for God's people, Genesis 39, uh, sold by his brothers to traitors, the traders bringing him down to Egypt and selling him to Potiphar, the captain of the king's uh, of, of the Pharaoh's armies, uh, and that motif that Moses keeps inserting there in Potiphar's house: the Lord was with Joseph. Verse two of Genesis thirty-nine: the blessing of the Lord was on all that Potiphar had because of Joseph. Verse five, and then when Joseph is Uh, slandered by Potiphar's wife and imprisoned uh, without a trial, uh, put in prison. Still we read the Lord was with Joseph and the Lord was with him and whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. Seems an unlikely place to find the presence of the Lord. And yet the inspired author Moses emphasizes that in that place God was with him. I don't know where you'll be a month from now. You think you know, perhaps. You may or may not know. There may be surprises. But I do know this. Those whom Jesus died for, those for whom this price has been paid to buy us, are never alone. And that means in that status, in those circumstances, wherever you and I find ourselves, whether radically changed or still the same, the fact is Christ can glorify his name through us in that place as we rest in him and in his grace and out of that rest as we respond in grateful service, trusting that the Lord can use us wherever he calls us. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the assurance that we have been bought with a price and therefore belong to you, body and soul, in life and in death. Whether we are free externally to serve you in ways that we long to do and please you and, uh, and bear great fruit for your kingdom, or whether we find in your providence ourselves sometimes again restricted And yet we know that even in that place, we can bring glory to your name because the Lord of all the earth became a servant and laid down his life for us that he might redeem us from this evil age, bring us into his eternal kingdom and that he is with us in the circumstances in which he calls us to respond to his grace In grateful obedience. Be with my brothers and sisters, not only in these days of completing studies, but also in what lies beyond these days, uh, and particularly for our seniors in their graduation. Lead them to places of service for which you've been preparing them. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Copyright 2009, Westminster Seminary, California, all rights reserved. You are permitted to reproduce and distribute this material in any format provided that you do not alter the wording in any way and you do not charge a fee beyond the cost of reproduction. For web posting, a link to this broadcast on our website is preferred.